Thank you for downloading and or streaming the newest episode of Recasted 2.0. I'm Wayne G, joined as always by Jesse. What's up? Hello, hello, Wayne, and thank you for your patience, friends. We are recasting a serious and powerful film today, but before we get into that, we do have some front-of-house business to attend to. Firstly, be sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms. We can be found on Twitter, at Recasted Podcast, and that's really where we're the most active. I think you'd agree with that, right, Jesse? Absolutely. Twitter, and then you know, followed closely by our All Things Movies page. We're active on both platforms, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned all things movies. We have a Facebook business page. It's at recasted podcast, but we also have a public group called all things movies, where if you want to post movie stuff, TV stuff, even music stuff, as long as it's pop culture, have at it. Well, yeah, we're seeing some, you know, in memoriam stuff when certain actors or actresses pass away, we're seeing trailers for upcoming projects. So it's definitely a, um, a mixed media uh you know platform where people are able to provide their podcast or their interest when it comes to tv movie or uh you know podcast we are less active on tiktok at recasted podcast instagram at recasted podcast eight and we have a web page www.recastedpodcast.com that will direct you to the links. It will also direct you to streaming services. However, you can listen to us on every single streaming slash download platform. If they play podcasts, Recasted 2.0 is there. Absolutely. If you are aware of a certain platform that you can't find us on, that's when you need to let Wayne know, and he's going to get on it right away. Now, on the webpage, if you decide to visit, and you should, check out the store. We've got our regular store, which is going to have recasted merchandise and merchandise tied to whatever movie we're doing. Right now, there's some Philadelphia merchandise. But we also have a sports store where we can get pretty much any sports jersey of a sports movie character. Yeah, tons and tons of sports movies and references out there. Uh, as recent as Cobra Kai, and I know that you know dates back to the 80s, and that's getting a lot of both new and old fans excited uh, with an upcoming season. And I saw some of my favorites from Remember the Titans. So uh, a lot of really cool favorites on there. We hope that you check them out, and they're all very, very fairly priced. So please check them out and let us know what you think. And before we get into our special thanks section from Beverly Hills Cop, I did want to see if Jesse has watched anything. I know you watched Thor Love and Thunder. How was that? Oh, absolutely. I went to the theaters to see that baby and uh, really, really enjoyed it. I know we stay spoiler free on any new projects that come out. But really, I want to say if you enjoyed Thor Ragnarok, then you should absolutely enjoy this one. Uh, it has that same tone, same brightness and humor, uh, as well as a, a very big story surrounding it so really really enjoyed it I, I hope any marvel fan out there that hasn't gotten to see it yet plans on seeing it because it's very very big um, and very important beyond that i've seen the gray man on netflix that has chris evans playing a douchey bad guy which i think was needed after so so long of playing you know captain america and it also has one of your favorites uh, ryan gosling those two i think did really well as well as uh, anna de Armas. She's a very beautiful actress that I've also seen in uh, the most recent James Bond film. And other than that, I saw the uh, trial of the Chicago 7 recently. Um, those are really the only uh, films that I've seen in recent time. I did get into watching Breaking Bad. I'm into the second season of that. And I am very close to starting the most recent season of Stranger Things. So I know I'm 
quite behind the majority, but I'm on my way to catching up. Well, good for you for starting Breaking Bad. How do you like it so far? Oh, very, very enjoyable. Uh, My mom's been begging me to watch it. She's very into Better Call Saul as well. And she said if I wanted to watch it, then just start from the very beginning. And so that's what we've been doing. And the episodes are flying by. I think that, uh, you know, those two main performances are just so incredible so far. I think that, you know, they've done a very good job of showing just how well acted, you know, performances they've done so far, just in two seasons. I know it goes on further. And, you know, I'm sure I'm going to be amazed as I continue to watch, but very, very happy that I started this series. For me, I watched the Hulu movie Prey, which is the Predator prequel. It takes place in the 1700s, and I enjoyed it. I actually thought it was really good, although I also think it's being celebrated a little too hard. And me and Kyle from Movie Wars are actually going to do kind of a podcast where we discuss our feelings on that film. Well, I really hope he opposes you. That way I can really throw uh, my entire backing behind Kyle. You know, even before watching it, I know that, you know, you are against anything that gets any due praise. You know, if it's getting any hype at all, then that's too much hype for Wayne. So I'm excited to see you know, and hear what you guys have to say about it. But I also plan on enjoying it. Does it have ties to the other movies at all? Not really. This almost feels like it's the first time Predators come here, although it's probably not because we saw an AVP. They've been coming here to hunt the aliens for a while. But this feels like it could be like the first one in the series. Okay. Well, I'll definitely look forward to watching it. Um, Anything else that you got a chance to see recently? That's pretty much it. My daughter started watching The Walking Dead, so she's trying to catch up to me. We're on season four, I think, now. I'm rewatching it again with her. Just as enjoyable second time around. Is is it enjoyable watching it with her? It is. She's a little bit scared of some of the stuff because not so much the zombies because they're pretty cheesy. It's more the jump scares, you know, when it gets really quiet and you can just tell something's about to jump out. Right. Yeah, you can definitely time it. And and you as a, you know, someone who's watched it before and, and a seasoned horror fan, you know, you can definitely sense when something's coming. But as, as a child, it can definitely scare you. So good to have her dad there watching it with her. My daughter recently binged all three seasons of a show called Lock and Key, and uh, that started on what I believe was uh, ABC Family or Freeform and ended up moving over to Netflix. But yeah, in a matter of a week, she watched all three seasons of that and really enjoyed it. Nice. And then I know there was some big, big news. We had San Diego Comic-Con since our last recording, and that's obviously where all the big news drops about movies, video games, TV shows, whatnot. And some big announcements. Was there any movie news, Wayne? <laughs> I was actually getting to that, yeah. So starting off with Kevin Feige did a whole thing where he talked about how Marvel Phase 4 is ending with She-Hulk and Wakanda Forever. And we got a teaser trailer for Wakanda Forever. And there's been a lot of speculation about who is going to take the mantle as Black Panther. Yeah, I mean, the, the trailer itself was, was very powerful. Um, I think it did enough to piqued anybody's interest that wasn't already very much looking forward to how they're going to tell this story after the unfortunate passing of Chadwick Boseman. But beyond that, you know, it was an exciting character, an exciting environment. That's why I think they threw Wakanda into the title because they know that they have so much that they can tap into there. And I'm very excited to see how much more they can show us and how much more they can tell us. I know there's some surprises, you know, in in there that they're not going to show us within that trailer. I think a lot of us do uh, assume that it is Black Panther's younger sister wearing that suit. 
I don't want to plant my flag anywhere yet, but I do think that's the popular vote is Shiri. I've seen her. Obviously, she seems like the consensus, like you said. However, some have also suggested it's his girlfriend there because she's kind of a little bit of a warrior. And then some even suggested that in that teaser trailer, there's gold in the Black Panther costume. So could it be Killmonger back to life? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I mean, honestly, one of the best villains that the MCU has had. And when you think about it, he's just a highly trained human with no powers or, or, or mutant abilities. So it's, you know, really amazing to kind of show what Michael B. Jordan was able to do with that character, the passion that they showed from Eric Killmonger. And I think that if they're able to sneakily bring him back, because we know that, you know, we didn't see him kind of keel over and die there. He had a very powerful speech and, and last few words. But, you know, he was in Wakanda where we know things can be, you know, either brought back to life or preserved. And uh, they're very technological. So if they bring back Killmonger, I think that would be very popular um, and quite the swerve. And I know a bunch of shows were talked about for Phase 5. We're going to see Quantumania. Looking forward to that. Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I'm also looking forward to that. But probably the thing I'm most excited for, as you know, is in 2024, we're getting Daredevil Reborn. Yes. Uh, I mean, you have been begging for Daredevil to be brought to prominence, to be given its proper due after watching it. And finally, after several years, it's going to be getting more intertwined. Uh, not only are we going to be seeing Daredevil, but it sounds like Punisher as well and Kingpin. So all of the characters that really kind of carried the, the Netflix Marvel brand for some time. They're now going to be getting intertwined with that larger Marvel story. So it's, it's very exciting in the long run. I am a little uh, concerned about the red and yellow uh, uniform. I definitely preferred the black and red uniform from the Netflix series, where this red and yellow gives me some McDonald's vibes, some Ronald McDonald vibes. Well, they've got a couple of years to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's like Sonic. You know, we saw the internet get on the CGI for Sonic so much so that they ended up changing and delaying the movie. So, you know, maybe they'll have enough time to uh, bring back that red uniform that I think fans definitely enjoy more. And then Feige said to the crowd, he said, Hey, does anybody want to hear what I'm thinking for phase six? And everyone went bananas. And it looks like phase six is going to start off with the fantastic four. So I'll start with that because I think fantastic four is actually going to be the franchise in Marvel going forward. Once it comes out, I think that's going to be the biggest. That's going to be the new Iron Man. Yeah, I think, you know, that definitely has potential to be Wayne. I think that and the other one that has that same potential is what they end up doing with X-Men, how they end up debuting the X-Men or whatever that ends up being in, in the long run because it's such a large story and it opens up so many doors with the mutants that I think X-Men could definitely be that as well. But Fantastic Four, depending on how they cast it, because we've seen a well-casted Fantastic Four in the past, and we've seen just a real atrocious casted Fantastic Four, uh, one that many people want to forget. So it really depends on how they cast it. I know that Marvel has done a very good job uh, in recent time in casting their stars. I'm sad you know, that it, it may not be who you and I want it to be for Reed Richards, but... I'm going to kind of put my faith in Marvel casting and see what they end up doing. But yeah, I do agree with you that it definitely has star potential to be such a huge, big move for the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the long run. And then phase six is going to end with not one, but two Avengers movies. We're getting Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. 
And I'm excited for Kang Dynasty, but I am bananas excited for Secret Wars. Yeah, I, I think both are going to be just amazing, huge stories. Uh, we know what they do with the Avengers movies and how they make them so all-encompassing. So I think to kind of see the bits and pieces that they start to tell the, the little crumbs that they start to leave along the way, that that way, by the time we get to those Avengers movies, they'll be able to pick up all those crumbs and tie up all those loose ends like they did in Endgame. I think that Infinity War and Endgame have such a high place in our hearts and in our minds from how they did tying up all the loose ends that they had done along the way in that decade plus. So I think that, you know, we've seen Kang and Jonathan Majors be introduced in Loki, um, and he's obviously going to be kind of popping up here and there along the way. And for us to, <clears throat> sorry, have a few years until we kind of get to see the culmination or whatever this big battle may be, this big story, I think is really going to be telling. Um, and it's going to make, you know, Kang that much more exciting. But what interests you most about the Secret Wars? Well, if you know the Secret Wars story, what it is is that this being from an intergalactic being, it's always one of those guys, takes superheroes and supervillains from Earth because he's amazed by them. And he puts them on this planet to do battle with each other, like UFC style villains versus heroes. And there's in the comics, I mean, it was Iron Man, Thor, Captain America. They're obviously probably not going to be in this. But then they had Doctor Doom was going to be one of the villains. Magneto was one of the villains. So we're going to see the X-Men and Secret Wars. It's going to be the biggest collection of Marvel superheroes since Infinity War. Yeah, I, I think, you know, as long as they kind of leave the crumbs along the way that they did in the past, then it's going to end up paying off as it did in the past. So I'm very excited to see what they do. And in the comics, they actually in 2013 released a series, which was Deadpool Secret Secret Wars. And it was all about how Deadpool was there helping the heroes during Secret Wars, but nobody remembers him. And we know Ryan Reynolds is going to find his way into the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe. So um, that may be his way, or maybe even before then. But he's a very exciting character, and we know that you know he's definitely going to find his way into the larger story. And then you sent me a rumor, which was that Marvel was developing a movie or series, most likely a series, called The Midnight Suns which was going to be Daredevil, Punisher, Ghost Rider, and Moon Knight. And before we even talk about the casting part of it, that foursome is incredibly intriguing to me. Yeah, I think they all have stories to tell, and they're all just different enough that it's going to be a cool collection, quite the gang of characters that I agree. I would love to you know, be able to kind of learn more about them and see them in some kind of story. And then I did a look because I'd asked you, do you think Nicolas Cage is going to play Ghost Rider? And you said, I don't think so. And so I started looking online. I saw the biggest rumor is that Ryan Gosling apparently told Kevin Feige, I want to play Ghost Rider. And Kevin Feige confirmed that Ryan Gosling said that. So my question is, do you like that casting or do you love that casting? I love it. I've seen him do action. I mean, I've, I've been seeing Ryan Gosling since he was a, you know, a teen heartthrob. You know, remember the Titans, you know, when he's getting burned by wide receivers down south. And then, you know, when he's in the notebook. But, you know, this guy has grown up quite a bit. You know, he is turned into a man. I definitely saw him act really, really well and, and in an action uh, sense in The Gray Man. We're going to see him as Ken, you know, in the Barbie and Ken kind of story here coming up. But I think a total flip of the coin would be him playing a Marvel 
kind of, you know, I don't want to say villain, but almost like a, uh, what, what's the word for it here? Um, anti-hero? Yeah, yeah. So he's going to be an anti-hero and just a real badass. Uh, I think Cage is, is a bit too old, a bit too long in the nose. But uh, I think right now, Ryan Gosling would be such a perfect fit for it. And the other casting news that I saw when I was searching for all of this is Marvel has been in talks with Giancarlo Esposito from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul to play some sort of role. Dr. Doom was rumored. And then I see Giancarlo Stanton, sorry, Giancarlo Stanton, the Yankees. Yeah. Giancarlo Esposito came out and said he wants to play Charles Xavier. And that's another one I absolutely love if they do it. I definitely saw your praise for that. I've not quite met him in Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, so excited to see his portrayal there. But I, I am familiar with him in uh, The Mandalorian and in other projects. So I know that he has that intimidation to him. He has that gravitas. You know, he's got such a wonderful resume as is that I think he'd be a really great fit as Professor X if that's what they ended up going with. And we did mention Comic-Con, so I do want to mention that by the time this airs, It will have already happened, but the Boston Film Expo is going on, and I'll be representing uh, Recasted there. We're going to be doing two panels, so I was hoping to get some interviews. I didn't get those, so the first panel is going to be a draft where we're going to try to draft certain features that are going to make up a streaming service, and it's who creates the best streaming service. The second panel is going to be how do we fix the DC universe, and as far as the draft goes, I'm sure Jesse can totally talk about this when it comes to drafts like i do multiple draft boards mock drafts i take it as seriously as bill belichick takes the actual draft oh right yeah i'm sure you're going to kick your wife out so you can do the prep and then you're going to go down there with more notes than anybody i wouldn't want to be drafting against you my friend i know you're going to represent recasted well in both aspects whether it be the draft or um fixing the dc universe i I know you know step one's probably you know giving uh, ezra miller that big boot but uh, overall they definitely need a lot of help All right, so let's talk about Beverly Hills Cop for a second. It was a little light in the votes, guys, so hopefully we can pick that up this episode. I'll say Jesse won the Facebook vote. I won the Twitter vote. And the final tally of the combined votes was Jesse 16 and me 14. So that's back-to-back wins for you. Oh, man, things are looking up for me personally, but I do agree, Wayne. I'd like to see a, a higher total, even if I'm taking L's. I'd like to see a higher total of votes, people get more involved. I know we asked a real lot of you guys to, you know, hit the, hit the quote treat button, uh, but, you know, uh, it was definitely uh, not a struggle. I do appreciate the votes. I appreciate the win, but I want to see a higher number of participation, friends. Um, I know that you enjoy our episodes and you enjoy the images that we're able to provide. You know, you, you love our passion and the ideas. So, um, you know, please just, uh, you know, jump on in next time and, you know, let's get twice as many votes. And now it's time for our special shout-outs. And if you're curious, how do I get to be part of the special shout-outs, Wayne and Jesse? Well, here's a great idea. When you see our side-by-side casts, we're going to ask you to retweet that as a quote retweet with your pick, Wayne or Jesse. It's very easy to do, yet we're still getting it wrong on Twitter, people. We're still voting and then retweeting separately, or we're retweeting the tags because I tag some people and they're just retweeting the tag, even though I implicitly put in the instructions, retweet original quote in all caps. All right, so for the special shout outs, let's jump right in with Shoot the Flick. We love these guys. They split the vote. As usual, Scott went with me, Frankie went with you, 
and their most recent episodes were Weekend at Bernie's, and they just did Doctor Strange. I think they had one just recently come out, like right before we started recording this. But I started listening to the Doctor Strange one, and I do have some criticism for Scott and Frankie, if you guys are listening. Here's my criticism. You guys were trashing Marvel here for recasting a white woman for the role of an Asian man in the comics, yet when we did Reservoir Dogs, you recast a black woman in the role of a white man. Oh, no. Oh, no. They ended up creaming us in that vote, Wayne. You're going to end up bringing back some thunder. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I'm not going to say hypocrite. I'm not going to say that. But, you know, come on. He's not saying. He's just saying. <laughs> and then we have X Radio X. So these guys, the last episode that they've posted was July 2nd, yet they continue to vote for us. So thank you so much, guys. And their most recent episode was Freedom Songs. So they talk about, like, you know, 4th of July, like Toby Keith, Neil Diamond, songs about freedom and America. And I can't wait to listen to this episode because I feel very passionately about a bunch of songs, in particular Billy Ray Cyrus, Some Gave All. Fantastic. Oh, there's a whole slew of country songs that dedicate themselves to patriotism and putting boots in, in asses. So I bet you you're going to enjoy that episode and uh, be uh, sharing it all about. So definitely look forward to seeing your love for that. Mashley at the movies. These guys always participate. Again, thank you for the love. Their most recent episodes are 2022 Movie Catch-Up, where they're catching up on the first half of the year in movies. And then Where the Crawdad Sings, which I, I haven't seen that one. I have not seen it, Bob, but I do have a friend that recently went to see it. It sounds like a uh, kind of a tougher story. And, you know, those we're, we're recasting a tough story here, Wayne. So, you know, we're not that all, all unfamiliar to them. So uh, maybe it's one that we'll get to uh, eventually in our own time. Defending Your Movie Podcast, they always participate. Thank you for the love. They go all the way back to March. They did Jonah Hex and they did Alien Covenant. So... I'm not going to lie. Those are two movies I really didn't love, but I'm sure you guys cover them great. Uh, Jonah Hex, uh, wasn't that with uh, the same actor that played Josh Brolin? It may have been. I remember Megan Fox was in it. Of course you would. Cinema Deacon just covered Predator 1987 and The Last Boy Scout, where you can get a Jimmy Dix jersey t-shirt on our website. But I love The Last Boy Scout. I love Predator. Two really good episodes there from our friends at the Cinema Deacon. Some Boy Scouts are Predators. <laughs> that is 100% true. Collateral Cinema did Thor Love and Thunder, and they did Morbius. Talk about a tale of two cities. Oh, man. I, not me putting Jared Leto in any important roles. <laughs> no, Jared Leto's great, but you know you can only do what you can do with the material they give you. How often are we going to blame the script, Wayne? Every time. <laughs> Unless I don't like the actor. Then it's Colin Farrell's fault. All right, so. <laughs> and so you turn it around and love Colin Farrell. You started to really love I do. He's really turned it around. So I'm just saying that as an example, but I really do love Colin Farrell, his recent stuff. What a 180. Yeah. Walk the Cinema podcast. They did The Hunt and Snatch. And we all know how I feel about Snatch. It could be a movie that we recast in a future episode. Yeah, you definitely um, have mentioned that. I did try to watch it. That's the Guy Ritchie film, correct? Correct. Yeah. So um, definitely looks like a really good cast. And, and, you know, I'd gotten about 15 minutes and it didn't pull me, but I'll have to give it a, you know, a more committed try going forward. If you're familiar with the Guy Ritchie formula, it usually is a lot of storytelling, and then the last third of it is nothing but twists and turns. I'll have to stay committed then. Casting views, these guys did, what if aliens are real, and what if cell phones disappeared? Well, I would love the second, and I'd love the first one. I love the idea of aliens. 
well, I mean, if cell phones disappeared, we wouldn't be recording this podcast right now because I'm using my my cell phone right now. So that'd be a toughie. Um, You wouldn't be listening to my beautiful voice fans. Um, And uh, I'm not so sure that aliens don't exist. Have you seen Brittany Griner? Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah, she's very tall. And uh, I'm going to tell you this about the cell phones. Don't beat me over the head with the logic. I don't want any logic brought to this discussion. <laughs> Stephen Doyle, our friends from For Me, These Films Are the Juice. He just did a, a podcast with the Cherry Bombs podcast on films that resonate with them. I'm sure that's a good one. I love the idea of what films really hit you. Oh, Steve is always deep as heck, and he's He's gotten quite the slew of co-hosts and guests on his show recently. So, um, you know, he's, he's left us in the alley and uh, gone on to our brighter pastures with uh, a bunch of awesome uh, guests. So uh, hopefully he continues to uh, share his show with awesome folks and personalities. And uh, we'll hope to have him back on once he backs down from this Godfather thing. Savako Road to Avatar. They do all kinds of Avatar stuff. So their most recent episodes were Avatar and Environmentalism. And they also have a Sam Worthington retrospective. Where did Avatar end up in your top five of your uh, top 150 movies? Avatar did not end up in my top 150. Oh, Wayne, don't let them hear that. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a beautiful movie. I think I've told you this. It's a beautiful movie. It's, it's absolutely stunning to watch. But uh, let's say the script's a little light. Yeah, I would say what James Cameron did to the movie Fern Gully was really, really good CGI-wise. When Harry Met Movies, these are our buddies over in England as well, where Mark introduces Harry to new movies. The three most recent ones they've done are Big, Mrs. Doubtfire, and E.T. On the E.T. one, you get to hear a sound clip of me because I did my Mrs. Doubtfire impression on their show. Hello! (laughs) Mine is always help is on the way. Oh, man. When when Wayne and his daughter met The Walking Dead, I think they this podcast inspired you to rewatch The Walking Dead, not that you needed any inspiration, but to watch it with your child and, and kind of help her through it. And a sneak peek, we're actually looking to collaborate with When Harry Met Movies. We're going to be doing an original cast, not a recasting per se, but we're going to take that Disney animated classic Hercules and we're going to go team versus team to pick who would be the best live action actors for that. Oh, man, I can't wait for that. You know, I think we're going to beat Disney to the punch because I know that's one that they probably have in their pipeline, but we're going to go ahead and beat them to the punch. And I definitely look forward to uh, taking on this this team here who they've probably seen way more animated and and Disney movies than I have in my life. So this will be a toughie. Your next favorite movie, these guys did Breakin' and Monster Squad. And I remember loving Monster Squad growing up, and I still make fun of my daughter because she bawled her eyes out the first five times she watched it at the very end when, spoiler, it came out in 1989, people, so chill out. Spoiler, Frankenstein gets sucked into the void. Wow. I guess I don't need to watch it now. (laughs) Well, that's not like the major plot point ending, but that happens. So the Manic Pixie Weirdo Podcast, these guys are fantastic. They always share our stuff. They share not just the cast, they share our posts about everything, and they really share a lot of other podcast stuff, so definitely give these guys some love. They just did Relationship with Swinging and Representation. I'm not going to lie, I'm a little intrigued with the Relationship with Swinging episode. Oh, yeah, I mean, I've done a few swings here and there, so I'd like to see what... uh you know, the Manic Pixie podcast has to say when it comes to swinging, how high do they get and uh, how far do they swing? Um, it's definitely something that I've kind of been intrigued about like you. Um, I've done a little bit of uh, internet research and uh, 
I'm, I'm curious to see how far in depth they get and, and what their thoughts are. But uh, I do agree with you. These guys are just incredible with uh, how friendly they are and how much they do to promote other shows and other podcasts off of Twitter. Game for a movie podcast. This one's going to sound familiar. They did Jonah Hex, and they also did Multiverse of Madness. Uh, is Jonah Hex like coming up on an anniversary or something? Uh, I mean, you were just talking about how it was one of your favorite movies, Wayne, so I'm, I, I don't remember. <laughs> I can't remember anyone except for the hot girl. Insanely Dangerous Retro Podcast. These guys did Police Academy and The Woolworths. Now, I haven't seen The Woolworths, but I love Police Academy. Classic comedy, classic 80s comedy, I should say. How many police academies are there? Are there more police academies or are there more Fast and Furious movies? More Fast and the Furious movies, but it is close. I think there's eight police academies, and I think we're coming up on nine. Actually, we might even be in, we might already be at nine. I think we're coming up on ten, Fast and the Furious. Yeah, it's going to be Fast 10, your seatbelt. <laughs> it is going to be something dumb like that, I tell you. It is. It'll be so good. They owe me money if they use that. But uh, yeah, definitely enjoy uh, the uh, Police Academy movies. Um, probably one of the few franchises from you know that era that I, I do enjoy. Um, you know, the gentleman with all the sound effects. We have the former NFL player um, that played Hightower. Um, I think there are a lot of uh, fun personalities and characters from the Police Academy that you know successfully carried it for a few movies, and it definitely shouldn't have lasted as long as it did, though. And then Films and Fermentation. These guys actually recently did a podcast where they recast the Ghostbusters 1984, and they reached out to me ahead of time and said, hey, is it cool if we do that? I said, absolutely, but you guys got quite a chore with that cast. And I listened to the episode, and I picked a winner. Now you guys got to listen and pick a winner to see if you guys picked who I picked. Oh, perfect. I'll have to, you know, tap my ears into that episode, too. You know, I I, I have a... A, a deep passion for recasts. You know, my nips get hard whenever I see people kind of thinking of who else could have played certain roles. So I'll definitely have to see um, what they came up with. That's definitely a, a huge classic. And the other podcast that they did was Best Movie Insults. I'm sure that one's great. And the one that me and my daughter always laugh about is in The Greatest Showman. It's not even a great insult. It's just when Tom Thumb, I think it is, the little guy, he's walking by Hugh Jackman. He goes, what are you looking at, flop doodle? Yeah, that can be hurtful. In the right context, <laughs> that's hurtful. Don't you dare call me flop doodle. <laughs> I can sense the, the heat in it. So, yeah, don't call me that again. <laughs> we'll just call that the F word. Actually, there's already an F word. We'll call it the FL word. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, that said, that's the special shout outs. If you're wondering, like, hey, I voted. How come I didn't get a special shout out? Quit bitching. Follow the goddamn instructions. All right. All you got to do is retweet the original picture with the, your pick. That's all you got to do. It's not brain surgery or it's not rocket surgery as i think trump says get him all right so that said are you ready to recast philadelphia i'm, I'm as somber as a film as it was wayne i'm ready to go ahead and recast this all right let's do it i was bruised and battered i couldn't tell what i felt i was unrecognizable to myself I saw my reflection in a window and didn't no my own face, oh brother Gonna leave me wasting away On the streets of Philadelphia Today we are recasting the 1993 film Philadelphia about a lawyer who was fired for having AIDS slash being gay. We will be recasting the director for the very first time and seven acting roles. 
So Jesse, we're going to start things off with the director so that we can set the tone. Did you want to go first or did you want me to go first? I'm going to go ahead and go first. And I'd like to say that when you posed this, it was before our right around um, we were doing Beverly Hills Cop. And I said, oh, man, he's already looking past me. He's thinking about his director for the next film. So I thought, man, Wayne's coming in here thinking one of two people. And so I'm going to tell you, I picked one of those two people that I had already pegged you for, Wayne. And I chose someone who I felt could do this film wonders as far as telling the story that it needs to tell in the environment that it's going to tell it. And to me, that is Aaron Sorkin. From his days on working with the West Wing to working on A Few Good Men as a writer, and more recently working on The Ricardos and The Trial of Chicago 7, this man knows courtroom drama. This man knows dialogue. He knows verbal pacing, when to put pauses in there so that people can listen and really understand what's being said. He knows when to speed it up, you know, especially in the courtroom. You have lawyers speaking quick and using jargon. I think this gentleman's history with, you know, the courtroom setting is and stars in general is going to be super helpful in carrying a 2022 slash 2023 version of Philadelphia. So, yeah, Aaron Sorkin who has a long history in TV and movies, is going to be my director of Philadelphia. Now, I will say, when you first sent over to me Aaron Sorkin, my first thought was, I know he's a writer. I'm like, has he directed anything? And so I was getting ready to rip you a new one if you picked a writer to be the director. But he does have directing credits, as you mentioned. And you said you just watched The Trial of the Chicago 7. Now, I haven't seen that, but you said it's really good. Yeah, and it does deal with a true life kind of storytelling of what happened in Chicago with some of the protests of the Vietnam Wars and told the story of seven or eight real life people. And we saw the kind of post credit scenes afterwards. And a lot of this movie happened inside a courtroom. So much of it did. And we could see offense and defense between um, a lot of important people. And I think that this just seeing it after my pick it only further emphasized and gave me more confidence in regards to what I wanted this gentleman to do with A, a true story, and B, just a very tough subject and in the environment in which that subject is going to be discussed. All right. And obviously it's a movie or a movie show, whatever it is, it's gotten very good acclaim. I know that being the Ricardos was up for an Academy Award, several Academy Awards. So obviously he knows what he's doing. We know what he can do as a writer. If he can bring his dialogue to the role, then I like the pick. Like I said, I was a skeptical initially because I didn't know if he had directing credits, but because he does, I'm going to say fantastic pick because you know how I feel about A Few Good Men. Yeah, I, like I said, there was one or two people I pegged you for, and I felt like I you know, looked at Sorkin's resume, and I was like, man, the, you know, there's a 50% chance I'm picking a guy Wayne's going to pick just based on what this guy has done and how he can kind of slide right in to this kind of plot. So uh, I was shocked when he didn't send me one of those two folks. Now, I will say when it came to my pick, what I initially thought, and I mentioned this to Jesse, is I had thought about making this a musical, so getting a director who had done musicals. Now, before you pee-pee in your panties, people, listen, it wasn't going to be a fun musical like Grease. It was going to be more like Dear Evan Hansen, where it's a very serious, somber kind of musical, but just really musical. But the more I thought about it, 
I really couldn't think of enough actors that could do dramatic musicals in that sort of fashion. So I decided not to make it a musical. So chill out. And I went with Darren Aronofsky here. So Darren Aronofsky, if you know who he is, he does gritty realism, like kind of dark subject matter kind of movies like he did. Black Swan? Yeah, not White Swan. Black Swan. He did The Wrestler. He did Requiem for a Dream, Mother, Noah. The guy does very, very serious movies in a very, very serious fashion. And I think that if you listen to our review of this film, me and Jesse both found this to be an incredibly serious movie. And so I wanted to take a director who would hold that same tone. So we're going to get a similar tone to what we had in the original with my director. So while I had heard of some of those movies that you had spoke about Aronofsky doing, I wasn't familiar with who he was or what he'd done just based on you sending over his name. So I did have to dig and do some research. And in doing so, I find that I'm not sure I love the pick. And I think that, you know, reading about Aronofsky, he's, he's got a bit of an obsession. Um, he does do some, some tough, gritty films, but all of them deal with an obsession in, you know, the wrestler, the guy is obsessed with having that big match, you know, just making the big time. In, you know, the uh, Black Swan, you know, she wants to do those big moves, the three moves in uh, that routine. And, uh, you know, they all have some type of obsession. Requiem for a Dream, there are drugs involved. There's always some type of addiction or obsession within Aronofsky's films. And so I didn't really see an obsession or a addiction in um, this film. And so I was curious where you, you may take it and maybe I'll learn more about that when you get into the cast. But I think on the whole, is he serious? Yeah, and, and this is a very serious movie. We spoke about how there really wasn't any humor at all. I just wonder if he's the right serious director. I think that was my, my one critique with your director was he seems very obsessive in a lot of his uh, films uh, so far. I didn't quite see the obsession in the movie Philadelphia. Well, let's get into that cast and build around our directors, and we're going to kick things off with Jamie Collins, not the linebacker from the Patriots. We are talking about a guy played by Bradley Whitford. Why would Mr. Wheeler and the others behave so outrageously? Because they found out Andy was sick? Perhaps. We have lawyers who've had heart attacks, ulcers, prostate cancer, leukemia. No one sandbagged them. Now, if you know Bradley Whitford, you know him probably from Billy Madison. He played Eric. He was in The Scent of a Woman. He played Randy. He always kind of plays like a slimy, douchebag kind of character. I don't think he really does here. He just plays kind of like a nerdy, paralegal type. And he may or may not have had some sort of involvement in Andy getting fired. They never really get too much in depth into that. But I wanted to pick somebody who has a great track record in film in terms of he's been in some blockbuster films. And... He hasn't quite broken onto the scene in America. So this is giving him that American exposure. And this is somebody who I think could play a nerdy paralegal really well based on stuff that we've seen him in the past. And that is Matthew Lewis, who was Neville Longbottom in Harry Potter. And as I mentioned, he's done a bunch of other British stuff, but he hasn't quite made it over to America. But I think he has the right look and the right demeanor, that kind of shy nerdiness to be a paralegal in this firm. I mean, who doesn't love Neville Longbottom? I mean, his full turnaround in the Harry Potter books and in the movies is something, you know, to be, you know, really proud of. I mean, you know, and in real life, I mean, the guys had a glow up. He went from being, you know, kind of the, the chubby nerd in Harry Potter to probably one of the most attractive, you know, gents in the entire, you know, 
series. So uh, good on you. I think he is a good actor just based on those films alone. I'm very passionate about Harry Potter. I think that the guy is the right age to be playing somebody um, that would be a paralegal or, you know, uh, in the law firm um, having something to do there. My only, you know, small gripe is I felt like I ended up endearing myself to Neville Longbottom. I ended up liking Neville Longbottom. And I don't think I, I like Jamie at all in this film. I think the more that I see him, the less that I do like him. But I'm sure that could certainly come off um, from Matthew Lewis. So um, overall, I do like your choice here. Um, I think, you know, even though we don't get a ton uh, of Bradley Whitford in this movie, I do agree. He ends up being that smarmy guy that nobody likes in pretty much all his roles. Um, one of the roles you didn't mention, and I'm sure it's because you haven't seen the film, but he he is an older gentleman, um, pretty prominent in the movie Get Out. And uh, I think he just kind of follows suit with being somebody you don't root for but somebody who can kind of speak um, very well. And obviously being in a law firm, you have to be able to do that. So not upset at all with the Matthew Lewis. Um, I just, like I said, I find myself liking um, Neville Longbottom by the end. And uh, I'm not sure I like Jamie at all. For my pick here, I went with someone that, um, you know, has seen himself do a few different things between kind of a a failed series of Law & Order LA to um, a, a smaller villain role in the MCU as well as House of Cards. And I went with Corey Stoll, bald gentleman that I think, you know, I could always see wearing a suit and tie and being someone that you don't like, being that asshole. And uh, again, you know, Corey Stoll has been in House of Cards. He was in Many Saints of Newark, um, which is the Sopranos uh, movie kind of spinoff. And he played Yellow Jacket in Ant-Man. I think he could be that smarmy guy that nobody likes in his small bits and pieces here in Philadelphia. I'll say this about Corey Stoll, which is I really, really like him as an actor. I think he's a very good actor. I just don't know if this is the right part for him, only because he's a little too strong in my like. Even the character he played as Yellow Jacket, the character he played Peter Russo in House of Cards, because I watched all of House of Cards, and I love the show Billions. He plays Mike Prince in Billions, who runs his own hedge fund, and he's a billionaire. Obviously, that's why it's called Billions. And Corey Stoll just strikes me as somebody who might be more like a partner in the firm than he is just like a paralegal. You know what I mean? Like he seems a little too advanced for that small of a role. A little, little too well-established. Yeah, like he has too much of a powerful personality. Yeah, he's got a stronger portfolio than what Bradley Whitford had at this time. I, I definitely understand it and I can see that criticism. Yeah, I just I think I saw the suit and tie and, and the fact that I didn't really uh, like him and endear myself to him and ran with it, but... I definitely see where you're coming from. And now you can start us off with our first, I'll say, real asshole of this film. Yeah, the guy that first notices the uh, mark on uh, Beckett's head and uh, starts the snowball of, uh, of shitty proportions here. Uh, Walter Kenton. He uh, strutted around quarters naked trying to get everybody to notice him. Made everyone sick. It was destroying our morale. So we let him know this kind of behavior was not acceptable. How'd you do that? What'd you, you wrote him a letter? We stuck his head in a latrine after ten of us had used it. Oh, you taught him a lesson, didn't you? Yes, we did. I have, you know, just a guy that is older, homogeny, someone that's obviously of the real old school and, uh, you know, was used to things being a certain way. And, you know, for this role, I needed to find somebody who is older, has gone through their roles 
and I think it is now finding himself in that old and curmudgeon type of portfolio. And, and I went with Tim Allen. I think that he's, he's looking weathered now. He's played the angry husband and father in Home Improvement and in Last Man Standing. And uh, we know that, you know, he was recently kind of passed over in the, uh, the Lightyear story after, you know, he's played Buzz Lightyear and, and voiced Buzz Lightyear um, for, you know, the last 15 plus years. And he was pretty pissed off about that. I think he's also getting a little more vocal in his real life on Twitter. So uh, just some, someone that I think, um, you know, fits that mold as someone who is, you know, older, curmudgeon and just, you know, a, a little bit snarky and weathered. I'm going to say as far as the Tim Allen pick, I think it's fantastic. I really think this is a great pick for you. I don't really have a whole lot of negative to say about the pick itself. My criticism is going to go back to your criticism, which is, I like Tim Allen. I don't want to root against Tim Allen. Yeah, I, I am looking forward to seeing him in, you know, the Santa Clauses. And, you know, the Santa Claus itself is probably my, my favorite of the the holiday movies. And I do love him. And I, and I grew up seeing him on Home Improvement. But I think seeing him kind of evolve, it's almost like seeing Jack Nicholson, where I think Jack Nicholson is so angry and uh, curmudgeon now that I'm, I'm seeing Tim Allen kind of more from you know, Tim Allen to angry Tim Allen. Yeah, I think for sure he would absolutely crush the role. I, I have no doubt about it. I just, I, I don't want to root against him. And this is a character that I'm absolutely going to root against, which is how I got to my pick. Because when I was looking at the original actor, which is Robert Ridgely, believe it or not, he has a super strong comedy background. A lot of comedy in his background, multiplicity, you know, men in tights. You know, he's done a lot of comedy. So it was so surprising to see him in this serious role. But his character in this role was definitely an old, ignorant bigot. He's a jerk. He's super serious. And I thought, who's more hateable than the warden in the Shawshank Redemption? So I went with Bob Gunton because he was the warden in Shawshank Redemption. He's also Kingpin's money man in the show Daredevil. Uh, he's the chief of police in Demolition Man. And he always plays the old white jerk. And that's exactly what you got to play for this role. So I kind of went with a cookie that already fits into the cutter mold to kind of roll with this one. Yeah, you definitely have an authoritarian here. I didn't recognize him playing Leland in Daredevil when I was watching Daredevil because I'm asking my mom, I go, Bob Gunn, other than Shawshank, what do we know him from? And she's like, I don't know. And I look down and I go, oh my goodness. Yeah, he's Leland. So I really think that's a good pull. I think my only small gripe with this is I think, you know, because he played the warden and because he's such an authoritarian, that I wonder if, if maybe he'd be better as Charles and not Walter. But overall, really great pick here. I mean, you know, Bob Gunn is one of the most hateable guys in cinema history. And we ended up remaking this movie and, you know, kind of deep diving on Bob Gunn and, and you know, that role. So. I think that it's a really good pick for you to pick a guy that nobody likes um, and hasn't liked in a lot of roles. Absolutely. And the only reason I wouldn't have him as Charles is because Charles, and we'll get to his character later, is described as being very charming. And there's nothing charming about Kent. Right. I mean, you know, in the Shawshank, he's obviously got, you know, his his religious ties, but, you know, he's a douche in just about every single way. Our next role is going to be Miguel Alvarez, played by Antonio Banderas. In another area, but it could be parasites, an infection, I mean... Reaction to the ACT. All these are possibilities, but we've got to go forward. No, no, listen to me. He's not going through some painful procedure until we cancel out everything else. Do you know what I mean? Listen, I'm trying to help your partner here, okay? Okay. Hey, you're not a member of his immediate family. I'm not? 
I could have you removed from the ER. Really? Look, look, look. He's he's upset. He's sorry. No, don't apologize for me, okay? Okay, he's he's not sorry. Now, we all know Antonio Banderas was the voice of Puss in Boots. He was in Desperado, Zorro, Interview with the Vampire, right? But before this, he had done, like, Mambo Kings and a bunch of other small stuff. So this is kind of like a big breakout role for him. The notes I have for his character is he's very handsome and that he would be the type of person. He's almost like a a, a trophy husband in that he's a very good-looking guy who would be with this very rich and successful lawyer. And he's also very fierce very fiery right he's got that that personality where he's also and he's loyal as all heck to andy so those were some of the traits i was looking for i went with pen badgley here now pen badgley played dan humphrey in gossip girl uh joe goldberg in that netflix series you he was an easy a uh, john tucker must die so he's done a lot of stuff where he plays a pretty boy and that's really what i was looking for somebody who kind of play that trophy husband to our main character andy but could also be fierce and loyal at the same time. Yeah, my number one note for Penn Badgley here is he's very dapper and he's a hunk. I think those are, you know, the most important qualities that we needed to have with Miguel. Um, you know, Antonio Banderas is known as being, you know, just a very attractive fella early on in his career between, you know, those Latin American soap operas and, you know, his, his small roles. And then kind of, like you said, getting into a large role here with some large stars. And I really have no qualms at all with Penn Badgley. I think that you um, on Netflix kind of gives off like a, a stalkery vibe, but he is someone that, you know, I think women, even as like a stalker, you know, people, you know, they want, you know, they, they fawn over. So um, this guy definitely has, you know, a lot of the qualities that Antonio Banderas gave off in this film of being, you know, a, a hunk that people want. So uh, very good pick here for me. I went with, you know, a slightly younger actor, um, someone that I saw uh, from Narcos, um, as well as a uh, kind of a romantic drama uh, called Two Hearts. He's a, a smaller known Mexican actor named Aiden Canto. And, uh, you know, like you said, Antonio Madera is coming from, you know, smaller works and getting a, a, an opportunity here. I wanted to do that with Aiden Canto. Um, you know, he's, you know, was on Netflix as Narcos. So I've seen him dressed up and looking suave. And uh, I've seen him be a heartthrob um, in certain uh, roles and uh, video clips. So um, I think um, as one of our smaller roles, I think that Aiden Canzo can go ahead and be my new age Antonio Banderas. I like this pick as well. I like Aiden Canto here. I, like you said, he's got a small kind of filmography, but so did Antonio Banderas in terms of America before he started doing uh, this role here. I think he fits the major thing that we're looking for, which is good looks, right? I mean, I don't want to call this a throwaway role because it's not. Miguel's very important in this film, but I feel like good looks plays such a majority of what we were looking for that I feel like Aiden Canto is the perfect fit for it. Right. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's not throwaway and it's not so singular of just being a hunk, but I think that his good looks played a huge role in who he was and how, you know, he originally got that role. So I don't think either one of us are are not doing justice. I, I think we're definitely doing it justice here. And, uh, you know, moving on to our, our next performer here, that is Belinda. That is the lawyer that represents the law firm here that Beckett was fired from. Andrew Beckett's performance on the job varied from competent, good, to oftentimes mediocre, to sometimes flagrantly incompetent. Fact. He claims 
He's the victim of lies and deceit. Fact. It was Andrew Beckett who lied, going to great lengths to conceal his disease from his employers. I originally played by Mary Steenburgen, who, uh, if you had told me um, that all this woman did was comedy, I would have believed you prior to seeing this. And then seeing her in this, I found her to be very serious, kind of cold at times. She's, uh, you know, very well educated and someone who obviously would be working for a high class law firm like this and in this type of scenario. And for this role, I wanted to pick somebody who you know, as a female, you wouldn't really root for, but as someone who you could believe would be in this position of speaking in a courtroom and, uh, you know, using that mumbo jumbo, that jargon that lawyers will use. I went with Laura Linney. A lot of people are going to know her as uh, the woman you actually wanted to see die on Ozark, but you never got to. Um, and that's Wendy Ozark. Wendy is uh, someone that, you know, yeah, we all wanted to hit at one point or another. We all screamed at our TV. Um, because of the things that she did to the Bird family, to the people, the things she did to everybody. So um, seeing her in Ozark and seeing her speak her way to politicians and lawyers, I think that she portrays everything I wanted in this role um, as someone I don't like, but someone I could totally believe being in a courtroom and speaking so fluently in, uh, you know, legal jargon. Yeah, Laura Linney is kind of that cookie that fits the cutter. Like I was talking about with Bob Gunton, right? I mean, she's very professional. She's very put together. She just strikes you as somebody who would be a professional woman, who would be the head of a law firm, most likely, which is why she's representing this case. And my only criticism of Linny, because she's an amazing actress and she would crush this role, so by no means is it a bad pick. But my only criticism is, I wonder if Laura Linney, based on the roles that she's played, not just in Ozark, but in you know, Mystic River in The Truman Show, she is always very cold. And I felt even with Mary Steenburgen, even though she's kind of playing a little bit of a villain here because she's representing the law firm, I feel like there's still like a softness or a tenderness about her. And because the most recent thing I've seen with Laura Linney is Ozark and she's has no tenderness to her anymore, she's just nothing but a cold bitch, that would be my only criticism. However, I think that she does fit the billing of that kind of attorney. Yeah, I definitely get that criticism. You know, I, I just think, you know, she, in, in watching the movie Philadelphia, when I watched Steam Virgin, the one thing I, I saw that made me kind of waver on this pick was she said, you know, I really hate this case. And if she would have built on that and kind of shown more remorse or just bad feeling uh, throughout it, like if she were kind of fought, you know, the, you know, the people that she was representing in any way, then I wouldn't have picked Laura Linney. But I think because that's the only sliver that she gave me was, I really hate this case in her portrayal. That wasn't enough for me to say, uh, she's a softie or, uh, you know, I don't think that Laura Linney couldn't crush this. So I think that, you know, I didn't have enough softness towards her that I didn't think that Wendy from Ozark would crush this. Now for my character, I did go a little bit softer because when I looked at Belinda Conine, I looked at somebody who is very business, is very professional, put together, knows her stuff. She's very soft-spoken, but her words cut like a knife. She's very ruthless, but she does it with a smile, and she does it in a very soft, petite voice. So I wanted somebody that I feel like could do that, and I went with Rashida Jones, who is the daughter of record producer Quincy Jones. You guys would know her as Karen in The Office. She's Ann Perkins in Parks and Rec. She's an I Love You Man. She's his fiance, and she just comes across as very business or business professional. She looks like she would wear like one of those suit skirts type of things to the office every day. And 
She's also very pretty and very kind of soft-spoken. But like I mentioned, when you watch anything that she's in, she's soft-spoken, but she's very deliberate in what she's saying. So it struck me very much as having like a, a lawyer feel to her. So I don't like this pick, and I don't like it for a few reasons. Um, the first reason I'm going to hit and then kind of move right on. I struggle in thinking that the law firm that we saw portrayed in Philadelphia is going to have even a remotely woman of color defending them, especially because we saw them kind of degrade or, or critique a woman of color within the film. But moving on from that, did you want to list any more comedic uh, films in Rashida Jones's filmography um, before trying to portray her as serious? Because you said that, you know, we bring up The Office, we bring up I Love You Man, we bring up Parks and Rec. I mean, these are all super comedic. I mean, while she has comedic timing, which I think is what you're referencing, you know, yes, yeah, she's soft-spoken. I don't think that's going to help her in, in a big, high, you know, high-profile case like this. I just think that she's the wrong fit. I think if you wanted someone that has kind of snappy dialogue, you know, you could have picked Aubrey Plaza from Parks and Rec, but still just a, such a strong comedic background. I didn't really see anything from Rashida Jones's background that showed me that she could be serious, um, that showed me that she could hold her own in a courtroom, that she could object to some of the things that somebody else is kind of pushing her on. So I, I really struggled with this pick and it was for multiple reasons, but I think the largest reason is her comedic backbone is just so strong that I don't see any seriousness to her to the point where I could see her pushing back and forth in a courtroom in such a high-profile case such as this. Well, my pushback on that would be Step Brothers, Back to the Future 3, The Proposal, Elf. You, you just push back with Step Brothers? Yeah, Step Brothers, Back to the Future 3, The Proposal, and Elf. That's Mary Steenburgen's IMDb. Oh, yeah. I mean, she definitely became comedic after that. But I think at the time and in this film, we needed someone who was serious. I mean, I, I think in all of our recasting opportunities and podcasts before this, we have casted for the role and not for the person's filmography. I mean, Mary Steenburgen has done a lot of things, but we've always tried to recast for the role. And I think for this role, uh, what we see a lot of seriousness and I think Rashida Jones lacks that so far I mean she helped co-write you know the Toy Story 4 and she's been very funny in a lot of things I mean I love her in Parks and Rec and I, I really find her funny in her short time I'm in the office but I just I just don't see enough seriousness to be able to kind of hold her own um, when necessary and I, I, I do see your point in saying that Mary Steenburgen blossomed into being able to do comedy but I just I just push back on your pushback and saying that we've always recasted for the role and not someone's filmography and what they've been able to do after the fact. Oh, absolutely. And I'm recasting Rashida Jones based on what I've seen her do in those shows and, and what I've seen from her as far as being a professional. I was just bringing up her filmography to combat Mary Steenburgen's filmography because I felt like you were using her filmography as a detriment, even though Mary Steenburgen has a similar filmography, yet it's not a detriment to her. But anyways, that's we agree to disagree on this one. On this one. <laughs> we'll let the fans decide on that one. All right. And so now we are getting into Charles Wheeler, played by Jason Robards. We gave him Highline. Did Andrew Beckett say I might not be able to serve our client to the best of my ability? He said nothing. And now, discarding the trust and affection I conferred upon him, Andrew Beckett proposes to haul me into court 
to sling accusations at me, to call me a bigot. Now, it's funny because before Philadelphia, and I know that Philadelphia came out first, but I always thought of him as like the sweet old grandpa in Little Big League. You know what I mean? Like he just seemed like a nice guy. Obviously, he's been in stuff since way back. He's an older gentleman. He was in like a lot of Westerns back in the day, like a lot of older actors are, all the president's men. But really what I looked for when I saw Charles is I wanted somebody who was cunning, charming, calculating, very businessman. Like he takes everything very seriously. But the difference between him and Gunton, as I mentioned earlier, is his charm. Andy is attracted to him, not in a, a sexual way, but he's attracted to him as a person because of Charles's charming personality and his wit and the way that he can woo you over. And so I wanted somebody that would do the same thing as an older gentleman, and I went with Michael Douglas, who obviously we know his portrayals of uh, Wall Street, uh, Romancing the Stone, Hank Pym, right? The American President is one of my all-time favorite movies. I think that's in my 26 to 50 range. But The American President is fantastic. And what you get to see is this gentleman with white hair who's very, very, very smart, who is calculating in everything that he does. But Michael Douglas is extraordinarily charming. And I think he's the kind of person that Andy would gravitate to. You really like this pick, Wayne. I think Michael Douglas is highly decorated. I definitely had written down, you know, the fact that he was in Wall Street and then in that sequel many years later. But, you know, just very Wall Street, very dressed up, very, you know, could hold his own. And he has a very business-like persona. I really like this pick. You know, originally I was like, ah, is this guy mean enough? But I, I do agree that, you know, you can't have somebody who's totally mean. You have to have somebody who... I think when he wanted to turn it on, which is for his clients or, you know, for his uh, coworkers, as long as he liked you, he had to have that charm. And uh, I can see where Michael Douglas has that. I mean, as Hank Pym, you see him get frustrated, but he also has some tenderness to him when speaking about, you know, his wife, um, Michelle Pfeiffer. But uh, I think, you know, overall, really like this pick from you. Could think of very few names, um, you know, to better represent Charles Wheeler here. So really like that one from you. For me, I agree with a lot of your description for Charles Wheeler. We need to have somebody who can kind of be charming, but also be kind of a, a smarmy, you know, leader. You know, when he needs to turn it off and just be a, a, an ingrate, be someone who is a bigot, um, I think they can do that. Um, and for me, I went from one Charles to another. Charles Dance, who Wayne will know from Last Action Hero. A lot of fans will know him from Game of Thrones. Definitely a, a calculated uh, guy that many people know um, when they need, you know, some big, serious things done. He was an imitation game. He's known as a strict, villainous, authoritative guy. Uh, so Charles Dance, um, I have as my Charles Wheeler here. Well, you talked about strict villainous, and that's going to be my criticism of the role. Is I remember seeing him in The Golden Child. He's the bad guy. He plays like the devil's right-hand man. Last action hero. He's the contract killer that works for the mafia guy. Uh, Game of Thrones, he's Daddy Lannister. So he always plays that kind of cold, calculating guy. I thought what was missing from this pick was that soft charm. I agree, yeah. M my guy does come off as colder than Michael Douglas and colder than, than the original portrayal uh, of Charles Wheeler. But uh, I do love, you know, just how mean and I think, you know, menacing, you know, he can be. And, uh, you know, maybe that, that overrules it. Maybe your love for Tim Allen will help. Um, the lack of charm for my Charles Wheeler. Well, you get to lead things off with your favorite actor. I do here. Joe Miller, originally played by Denzel Washington. And, and again, folks, this is my first time seeing this film. I think that both he and Tom Hanks uh, provide us with outstanding performances. 
but I'm going to do this gross thing and agree with Wayne that Denzel had the better performance in this film. I think that he outshines Tom Hanks and really everybody else. Um, I think we saw a lot of growth and back and forth from Denzel in this role. And, you know, this is coming after Glory. This is right before both Denzel and Tom Hanks kind of skyrocket and do a lot of huge things. But they've both done something pretty big. Um, and so I couldn't just grab some schmo. I needed to grab somebody with a very large name, somebody with a lot of gravitas, and somebody that I had seen in a courtroom setting. So based on that, I went with, obvious or not, I went with Michael B. Jordan. The B stands for Bakari. For his role in Just Mercy, which was a true story that um, was set down south with uh, Jamie Foxx, and he plays the lawyer defending Jamie Foxx in a wrongful um, imprisonment trial. And uh, ends up, you know, getting him freed towards the end there. Um, and they come from very different backgrounds. So, you know, you saw that struggle there. I also loved his powerful dialogue and speech um, that we actually touched on, coincidentally, as Killmonger. Um, I think there it was very believable, very passionate, very well-spoken for being such a, a brute. Um, he was able to kind of show um, a passionate side as well. So Michael B. Jordan is my Joe Miller here. I, I found it to be seamless. Yeah, it's another one of those ones, I keep using the term, but the cookie that fits the cutter, right? I mean, Michael B. Jordan fits this role perfectly. He's got a great dramatic background. He's a fantastic actor. He's a good-looking young guy. I can definitely picture him being this lawyer, so I really don't have anything negative to say about the pick. I think that Michael B. Jordan would crush it. So, yeah, I, again, nothing bad. With my pick, I went with somebody who is from the Marvel Universe as well, and that is Anthony Mackie. My reason for going with Anthony Mackie here, obviously he was an eight mile, we know that, pain and gain, but we know him as Falcon from Falcon and the Winter Soldier and all the Marvel movies. The thing I'm looking at here for is Joe Miller doesn't smile a whole lot. Like he's very business, he's very serious. He comes across as very close-minded and he does soften towards the end of the film. And when I see Anthony Mackie, I feel like even in his Marvel roles and everything I see him in, he's always very serious. He does have a little bit of a soft side that comes out in like little pinches of salt, but mostly he's very serious. And so I thought this guy's would be the perfect Joe Miller because I know that at the end of this film, we're going to see a softer Anthony Mackie, but I want him to be that close minded kind of bigot at the beginning of the film. You know, a movie I need to rewatch that has both Denzel Washington and Anthony Mackie as the Manchurian candidate. Really good movie. Also directed by uh, the same guy who directed this. Oh my goodness. Well, I definitely need to watch it then. But that, I did notice that in my research for Anthony Mackie because I think everybody, you know, on the surface knows him as, as Falcon and, you know, going to be Captain America in that next iteration of, of Captain America. Or, you know, him as Clarence from 8 Mile. But, you know, he definitely is a very serious performer. I think when he acts, he's, he's not one that cracks many smiles. I think even in his back and forth um, with the Winter Soldier, uh, Bucky, you know, Bucky is the one that's smiling more often than not. Um, or, you know, the crowd is the one getting the laugh, but he's, he's delivering his lines and he still has a bit of a, a straight face. So I do think that he's got a powerful resume. I think that if I weren't going to go with who I picked, there were two other guys in contention and Anthony Mackie was definitely in contention. Um, I think, you know, like I mentioned, just, you know, such a good filmography so far. Um, he's only going to continue to build on that. I think once you get your foot early on in the MCU, that does wonders for you. But outside of that, you know, he's, he's got some serious movies out there. And just who he's always been shows me that he could be this guy. All right. And it's only fitting that I get to finish out here with Andrew Beckett. And I'll tell you why in a second. So Andrew Beckett is played by Tom Hanks. 
Now, we know him from Big, Bachelor Party, The Money Pit, Sleepless in Seattle before he does this. So this is kind of where he's starting to transition into doing more drama because Sleepless in Seattle is kind of like a dramedy. And the thing about Tom Hanks is he's just Tom Hanks, right? He's lovable. He's charming. He's timid, but he plays very smart and sophisticated. And everything that I think of as Tom Hanks, the person, I think Andy is here. Like he just, he, 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 he was a smooth transition into the role. And the reason I say I'm so happy I get to start off here is because since we started a couple of years ago, I have been trying so hard to find a movie to put Dev Patel in. And I finally found it. Dev Patel is going to be my Andrew Beckett. We know him from The Green Knight, uh, Slumdog Millionaire, Lion, The Hotel Mumbai, Chappie, and The Newsroom is really where I really started to fall in love with this guy. Dev Patel is everything that Tom Hanks is, except for the established credentials. But he's lovable. He's charming. He's timid. He comes across as very smart and sophisticated. And I think that Dev Patel is going to be the perfect Andrew Beckett here. Uh, have you seen all the things that you named him in, or are you just reading some of the things you saw on his uh, Wikipedia page? So I've seen Slumdog Millionaire, and I've seen uh, Chappie, and I've seen The Newsroom. I think we've all have seen Slumdog Millionaire. I mean, that came out in 2008 when I graduated high school, and I just feel like the guy is still living off that hype that he got back then as a, as a child actor. I've not seen him in anything since then that makes me go, wow, this guy's destined to be a, a megastar. But the way that you've been trying to pigeonhole him in just about every cast, I mean, I think he's been in almost more than anybody. And I mean, yeah, you finally got him in here. But I'm really curious as to the pick because, A, I'm not sure if he's established enough. I mean, again, I wrote down still living off Slumdog Millionaire role. I mean, I, I need to see The Green Knight. And I did, um, you know, check out a few clips of the newsroom. But I've just not seen enough of the man to feel like he deserves or warrants the the hype and admiration that not only you give him, but a lot of fans out there give him. So I'm, I must be at a loss. Um, you know, I am missing something, but I hope to find it. I'm just not sure that he provides me what I need here. And I'm, I'm not going to harp on it too long here, but it's, it's right along the same lines as the Rashida Jones um, for my first critique is this law firm really kind of holds themselves as like a, a very old school whites only type of law firm. And you have them being represented by a half black female and then their star pupil, their one that they fall in love with and that fall in love with is someone who is uh, again, clearly not, you know, milky white. Um, and so I wonder if your affinity for Dev Patel was maybe kind of forced into the wrong role here, but just moving off of the, the color side of it, I'm just not sure that he is. I know, you know, Tom Hanks wasn't quite the mega star yet, but I'm just really all Dev Patel's done to me is Slumdog Millionaire. I, I need to familiarize myself with more. I did watch some clips, but I'm just not sure I see the same potential, the same full package that Tom Hanks gave us, even in this early on film. Yeah, Tom Hanks was a much more established actor. By the time he took this role, I mean, he had been nominated for an Academy Award for his role in Big before he took this role. So he obviously, like I said, the only thing Dev Patel didn't have to me was the credentials. But everything I've seen him in, he's shown me that he is this character. Uh, I did think it was funny that your first bit of criticism is like, I, I got to criticize this pick, Wayne, because I haven't seen a lot of his stuff. So I don't know. I don't, I don't like it for that reason. Well, I mean, li like you said, you know, you've been trying to get him in something since we started this podcast over a year ago. And I just. I feel like there are certain actors that warrant that type of dedication, that type of 
I really need to get this guy into something. And yeah, I mean, it's naive of me to say I haven't seen a lot of them, but there are many actors out there that I've been opened up to and seen multiple things of since we started this podcast. And Dev Patel is not one of them. I mean, I've, I, I just, I'm not sure that he warrants all of the hype or admiration that he seems to get all because he was really good as a child actor in Slumdog Millionaire. I mean, I, I don't see Macaulay Culkin getting the same hype or admiration. Um, and he was really good in Home Alone 1 and 2. Wasn't he nominated for Best Actor for The Green Knight? I, I honestly couldn't. I mean, he's your actor, and you'd have to tell me that. You'd have to defend your. I know, I know the Green Knight was up for a lot of stuff. I, I don't know what was what. It's, just like, it's like being the Ricardos. I know they, they were up for stuff. I remember hearing the names. Oh, yeah. And I know Javier Bardem was in that, and he spoke pretty highly of Aaron Sorkin. Well, Aaron Sorkin wrote The Newsroom, so you should check out more of those episodes. Oh, that was, that was quick, and that was good. All right, so who do you got? All right, so my last pick here is going to be someone that I find has a long history, a, a long filmography, um, going from TV star as a child on through being someone that we uh, adore on TV as an adult um, and has done, you know, some movies here and there to kind of further expand on his roles and uh, his personality. That is Neil Patrick Harris. I think the uh, first thing to mention Patrick Harris is that he is indeed a, a very open gay man. And I think that, you know, it'd be very powerful to kind of represent this uh, movie uh, going forward in a new way with a gay actor, someone who is not just gay for being gay, but, you know, is gay and has, you know, gained a lot of admiration for his roles outside of that. But I just think it would be really cool and important to have that aspect. Beyond that, I think NPH uh, looks really amazing in a suit. We've seen him uh, host several award shows um, where he has actually won awards in doing so. Uh, the man looks very good dressed up. So I think seeing him as, as a lawyer, seeing him in that setting, I think I could really buy someone who uh, could use that type of courtroom dialogue, that type of verbiage. I think he could really do that as well. So Neil Patrick Harris from you know Doogie Howser as a kid to uh, How I Met Your Mother to uh, something I saw him in in uh, Gone Girl where he played someone, you know, in a, a very serious role, um, you know, he ends up getting murdered, spoiler alert, but I think that was something very serious outside of the How I Met Your Mothers um, that gave me um, some more confidence in picking him. Yeah, again, I, my only criticism here, I say my only criticism, but I'm going back to your criticism with the Rashida Jones thing is that we've got, you know, Doogie Howser, How I Met Your Mother, and the Smurfs, and I know that we've got Gone Girl, which was a small part, I mean, it, it wasn't a major part in the movie, and yet... It's like, I don't know, we're, like, we're going with this super comedy guy in this super serious role. And I don't know, I feel like, I don't know, how, how can I not give you the same criticism that you gave me over Rashida Jones? I mean, you can definitely give me the criticism. I mean, I think as a host, he's leaned heavily on his humor and in his roles as, you know, as a kid star and as an adult, he has leaned heavily into humor. Not a lot of seriousness in there at all. So in a, a larger role, I definitely deserve the criticism. I just think that, you know, based on his out of Hollywood, you know, persona and what I, what I think he would look like in a suit and tie, I went with this gentleman. And, and I think that, you know, he he could do a lot of the things that I see Tom Hanks doing. And uh, honestly, while watching the film, I am, you know, recasting as I'm going. And, you know, I get to the part where he's listening to the opera and he's he's got like the, the drip bag. And I, I wasn't even seeing Tom Hanks more. I was seeing Neil Patrick Harris just do that. So 
I, I really was kind of committed to it, but I, I absolutely um, understand and agree with the criticism. I was looking at my mom before driving over here to record with you, and I said, damn, I wish that he had more seriousness in his in his portfolio so that I could really defend this because I know that Wayne's going to come at me with it. I mean, probably not as hard if you hadn't come at me so hard for Rashida Jones, but uh, I feel like, you know, Neil Patrick Harris, I think he's a good actor. I do think, I'm not taking anything away from him, and I, and I like him and the sh- stuff that he's done. I, I think that you're going to run into the same situation here that we talked about Denzel out acting Tom Hanks, only I think that Michael B. Jordan is going to act 25 circles around Neil Patrick Harris. I agree. Yeah, I mean, if, you know, I I think maybe I forced my hand uh, so much so in trying to find, you know, a, a gay actor that had a worthy resume because there, there are some out there that I don't think even come close. But I think Neil Patrick Harris has uh, enough uh, of a name recognition. I mean, we know, people get by and just calling him his initials. And uh, so I think he's got enough recognition out there that I felt he could go ahead and, and get away with this role, whereas other gay actors, I don't think would have given it enough of value. Well, that is our cast. And what I love, and hopefully you guys loved it too, is this is the chippiest. I think me and Jesse have gotten with each other's picks in a long time. It felt good. It did feel good. Yeah. I mean, there was some early on that we agreed with, but I think that, you know, we definitely got uh, pretty gritty back and forth as far as some picks go. And I think that, you know, some of our dedicated fans are going to really give us, you know, uh, their thoughts, um, their honest opinions and, and feedback. And so I'm excited to hear what other people think. Um, and I do think, you know, at, at times I found myself being hypocritical, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do when you're in the law room, you know, the law room, <laughs> the courtroom. I'm going to say it again. I can't stress it enough. If you want to get a special shout out on the show, we're going to be posting pictures of our picks. Make sure that you retweet the picture with your pick. Mine or Jesse's, you'll get a special shout out on the show. Plus, it lets us know that you're listening and that you're having a good time with it. We love that. Interact with us on all the social media platforms. We have a good time doing this. We hope you have a good time listening to it. But other than that, that's what I got. And I didn't know, Jesse, did you want to send us off today? Just really appreciate the continued listenership, everybody. Uh, really appreciate the hard work that, that uh, Wayne always puts into uh, our review episodes and our recast episodes. Uh, the guy is a workhorse and still has time to binge 10 times more shows than I do. Uh, so, you know, really appreciate his dedication and passion with Recasted. And uh, hopefully he has a blasty blast down at the Comic-Con that he's going to go ahead and recap for us the next time we get on the air. But, uh, Really hope that everybody enjoys this episode. Uh, while it was a somber movie to watch, I think it got chippy here uh, in the podcast booth. All right. And that's all, folks. That's all, folks.